Morning all, again, morning those of you watching online as well, as we have our sermon time this morning. I'm going to con- finish, conclude the series that we've done in the month of July, called, as that video said, Serve Like Jesus, in a message that's going to be a different kind of serving, you know, when typically you think of serving, you know, you're serving, um, you know, projects, missions, um, serving in the church, etc., all that is, we've talked about that over the course of the last four weeks. But this morning I want to talk about a message called Serving Like a Shepherd, which is really about serving um, spiritual encouragement one to another. That's a kind of service as well. In fact, it's a very central part of service, a way to end this series. What does that mean? It means, you know, guiding people, encouraging people, helping even to restore people. So this might be uniquely, you might say, a, a body of Christ message, a how does the church serve itself, each other members serving other members, one another. That's a big part of it. That's where my focus is this morning. And we're going to do it with a famous passage, at least for if you've been in church any length of time, where Jesus, he sort of does this, but he models it for us. He's going to serve, let's call it spiritual restoration of a kind. He's going to serve one of his 12 disciples, one of his 12 apostles, who thought he had completely blown it, thought that he had blown it so big that he was out of the game, sort of, you know, no longer a part of the band, no longer a part of the community of leaders. And this is Peter, uh, his, this famous passage between Jesus and Peter, which ends the Gospels in John chapter 21. But let me say something as we dive into this. Some of you are familiar with this passage. Jesus not only does something important here, let's say restoring Peter, who was, you know, out of the game, bringing him back, restoring him, that he's modeling that for you and me. And, the, but, and that was very important for the church. Because as we know now, retrospectively, Peter wasn't just you know, any, other, any just, you know, person that helped. He was a major leader, not only an apostle, he was the chief apostle. So restoring Peter was very significant and very important for the work of the church that would come. But Jesus is also in this passage... It takes up the end of the gospel. This is how it ends, right? The, the, the four gospels end here. Because he's modeling something for us. So I don't want you to walk away with the sermon and just learn something about Jesus. That's very important, of course. But learn something about how you and I are supposed to be shepherds one to another. That's the point. So if you have a copy of the Bible, John chapter 21, last page of the Gospels anyway, as they're laid out in your New Testament, we're going to enter a kind of a conversation midstream between Jesus and his disciples, but really between Jesus and Peter. Now let me give you the backstory real quick, the first half of the chapter that we're not reading. Jesus rose from the dead. It's unbelievable. There are a handful of appearances recorded. This is one where Jesus meets the disciples kind of back where it all started. You know, this is where it all started. When you look at the New Testament, all these challenging, difficult, even horrible things happen in Jerusalem. That's where there's a lot of persecution. There's a lot of um, conflict, ultimately, of course, arrest and crucifixion. But all the good things, the, the apostles gathering together, the miracle, most of the miracle stories, most of the teaching, like the Sermon on the Mount, that all happened up in the north in Galilee. That was sort of, you know, where the band got together, as a matter of speaking. That's where they really hung out. That's where a lot of the Gospels take place. And after all of this Hardship, all of this, what seeming tragedy, tragedy in the death of Jesus, he rises from the dead. He tells some others who first meet him at the resurrection, 
Go get the guys together. Get the ladies together. Get the team together. And go back to the Sea of Galilee because I want to reunite with them there. That's where we pick up the story here. We'll call it breakfast at the beach. That's what they were doing. When they had finished eating. Okay? So here they are, the 12 disciples and Jesus, back where it all started. He's risen from the dead. Pretty unbelievable. But he's there, and they're having breakfast with him. And he brings up this very sobering subject. Simon, Peter's uh, other name, talking to Peter. Son of John, do you love me more than these people? Now the context is, he's saying, do you love me more than the other 11 disciples love me? And that might be, sound like the strangest question to you and me, but if you're a note taker, Matthew 26, Peter had done one of these, oops, I wish it never came out of my mouth things that some of us do, <laughs> I know I do, and, and he said earlier in their ministry, um, although all will forsake you, meaning the other 11, I'll never do that. And Jesus says, Simon, a uh, uh, son of uh, uh, John, do you love me more than these other friends? G- Peter, I'm sure, very sobered, very um, unhappy about this moment, hard moment. He said, he doesn't say anything about them. You know that I love you, okay? Jesus said, feed my lambs. What the heck does that mean? It means get back to work, right? Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? No mention of the others now. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Kind of like the implication is, why are you asking me again? Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt, as I would be, as you would be. In other words, why are you asking me this again in front of these people? I've already answered. You already know the answer to that. Doesn't it drive you nuts? Sometimes someone asks you a question, you go, you know the answer to that. Why are you asking me? Okay, Peter, I think, is having this kind of moment. He was hurt. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, third time, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Okay? Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. We all know this. I think he did know this would mean he would die like Jesus did in a crucifixion. Um, then, he, then he said to him, because the restoration, follow me. Same thing he said to him three years earlier in the very first page of the gospel. Follow me, okay? Follow me. It's widely been understood through 2,000 years of history that this is not only Jesus restoring Peter, someone who broke his leg in a manner of speech, someone who got out of the game, restoring him, but he's also reinstating him. That's why it's here. It's not just restoring a fallen brother, so to speak. He's reinstating him to leadership. Peter just wasn't just one of the 12. He was the chief apostle. Remember, if, if you remember this, some of you would, it, earlier in the gospel, he said, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. You are going to play a very important role in this, in this thing called the church. You're going to be the chief. You're going to be the quarterback. You're going to be the, the person directing this. And even though Peter had this cataclysmic fall, he denied Jesus three times. Can I tell the Gospels, last thing you know about Peter before this passage, Jesus says, although you've taken yourself out of the game, although you've decided you're no longer qualified, you're no longer um, able to do this, he says, I haven't changed my mind about you. 
That's what this passage is about. It's a restoration to leadership. And it was public in front of these other 11. And it ends the gospel because it was public when Peter made these denials. But you might ask yourself this question. Is this over the top? Did the gospel record for 2,000 years, here we are, 2023, everyone that has read the gospels over the course of history, this chapter has, this story has ended the gospels. Is it that important? Why is it here? You should ask yourself that when you read the Bible. Why is it here? I think this is why. Because Peter did not know, certainly. I'm sure he felt like he had no idea if his life was going to take any interesting turns, do anything interesting. He, he probably didn't have a big vision for his life in this moment. Peter didn't know, and certainly none of these other people, I'm talking about the 12 other 11 disciples, would have believed that in less than 50 days, if you do the math, that Peter, this guy, would stand in front at the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, he would stand in front of thousands of people who had gathered from all over the Roman Empire and he would give the sermon of a lifetime, right? Acts chapter 2, that would launch the New Testament church, the descent of the Spirit, etc., okay? No one would have believed it because the last thing we know about Peter, if you read the Gospels, in all four of them, not every story is in all four of the Gospels, but all four of the Gospels tell the heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, embarrassing, uh, uh, shaming story of Peter denying Jesus not once, not twice, but three times, right? I never heard of the guy curse and swear. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. That's what you know about Peter. And so the writers of the gospel say this. They, 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 it's very important for us to know because the, it goes from John to Acts to say, how in the world did this fallen hero, this guy who was no longer even considered himself a disciple, how, oh how, did he end up standing in front of all these people as the primary representative of the church of Jesus Christ when what we know about him was he was an abysmal failure uh, before this moment. That's why this passage is here. But Jesus, as I said, is not only restoring Peter, he's telling us what this restoration process looks like. Point one. What does it look like in your life and my life? What does Jesus model here? We need to tell the truth about sin. Okay? That's what Jesus is doing. In these three affirmations, this has been, some of you have heard this before. It's not, it, it's common sense once you think about it. These three affirmations of love and loyalty, what's Peter doing? He's undoing his denials in a manner of speaking. It's very literal. Right? He denied him three times, and Jesus says, listen, I know this is standing in your way. And not, no, we don't all do it this way. We don't all have to sort of walk this sort of concrete path. But in Peter's case, this was so big and so public, Jesus wants to do this. And in a manner of speaking, when Peter says, I love you, I love you, you know that I love you, he is in a manner of speaking undoing the denials that he had previously given because... These denials had became a barrier that needed to be removed if he was going to do, go back and do what God called him to do. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Right? God didn't change his mind about Peter. Peter changed his mind about Peter. And Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to get back in the game. But in a manner of speaking, someone had to take the thorn 
out of his paw, if you remember that old uh, uh, fable. And that process is painful. Peter was hurt, but it's necessary. And it's necessary in my life, and it's necessary in your life. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Why are you bringing this up? Because I know this, this, this taking yourself out of the game, this self-condemnation, this I failed is keeping you from what I want you to do. God, let me say this to, to us. A God who does not take sin seriously, start with God and then we'll talk about us, is not a loving God, Right? A God, who, a God who would look at my life and say, Rob, I know you're, I, I know you're, 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 you're in this kind of behavior, you're in this kind of, oper- you're, you're in this, this, this way of life or way of thinking that is self-defeating. You are defeating yourself. I have to tell you about, I want to help you. A God who, who doesn't take sin seriously is not a loving God, Okay. And the same is equally true, this is my point of my sermon, for me and you with the people in our lives. It's equally true of a friend or a brother or a sister who sees a self-destructive behavior going on in husbands and wives, parents and children, people in your small group, whatever the case may be. Sees a self-destructing behavior going on and says, listen, looks the other way, has an attitude of time will heal all wounds, and does nothing and says, well, that's love. I'm not going to bring it up. But that's full love, okay? That's not love. You're just sitting there because you lack the courage. I lack the courage to really care about somebody to pull that thorn out of their paw, right? That's what Jesus is doing here. Until you see, here's the point, the depths of your own sin and what it's doing to you, you will never be deeply moved by the love of God. They go together. Right? Until you see the depths of your sin, my sin, and what it's doing to me, how it's holding me back, my fear, my regret, my shame, my guilt, whatever, my addiction, whatever it is, what's holding me back, I don't see what it's doing to me. until I can see that. I cannot be amazed, overwhelmed by the love of God, which is where this passage is going. Do you love me? Right? They go together. They go together. And that's just as true for the discouraged, taken-out-of-the-game Christian as it is for someone who's never heard the gospel ever. You tell to tell the truth about sin. Number two, these go together. You need to remember the greater truth about God's love. That's what this passage is really all about. They go together. Jesus brings up love, do you love me, because it's the heart of the matter when it comes to to all discipleship, what we'd call spiritual restoration. Love is the heart of the matter. Listen, Peter's love is true and sincere, and Jesus knows it. Listen very carefully. Peter has, Peter, Peter's right to say to Jesus, why are you asking me something that you know the answer to? You got it the first time. You knew it even before you asked me the first time because you know all things. That isn't true of anyone else, but Peter knows Jesus is God. You know all things, and you know what the truth is? Jesus didn't need the Peter's answers because he did know all things. I would suggest to you, maybe parents get this more than others, that 
Jesus is not, this isn't about Jesus' knowledge, it's about Peter. Jesus is re-asking the question because he's trying to teach Peter something. What is he trying to teach Peter? He's attempting to drive Peter back to the basis of his love. He's saying, Peter, I know that you love me. I believe that you're sincere. I believe that you actually do love me and you're telling the truth right now. But why do you love me? You think your love is performance-based. That is, you love me and you show it to me by doing what I ask, by following the commands, by you know, walking in the path that you need. And you got off the trail, you screwed up, and now you're taking yourself out of the game. And Jesus is saying, listen, your love for me was never performance-based. My love for you is never performance-based. I didn't love you back when I called you as a know-nothing fisherman because you, you threw a great pass, because you were so smart, because you were so good. I just loved you. I kissed you awake. It's true of every single person who's a Christian. The only reason you're a Christian if you are one is because Jesus Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins and he came and he kissed you awake. He loved you. He sent his son to die for you and you believe. That's it. What he's saying, listen, is Peter, why do you love me? And the, and the answer is the same for everyone. If you're a note taker, 1 John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us that's the only reason see some of us forget that peter forgot that and jesus is trying to remind the only lasting motivation back to what we're talking about here serving as a shepherd in this case the only lasting motivation for service of any kind serve as a missionary serve your family with integrity work in the in the children's ministry whatever the case may be the only lasting motivation for service is love because otherwise you'll just get exhausted and you'll eventually feel unappreciated. You'll get bitter. It happens all the time. And you might come to church, but you don't, you're not really growing. And eventually you might stop coming to church. It happens all the time because people make the same mistake that Peter made. Said another way, this point. You cannot love well unless you've been loved well. Okay, this is, that, 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 that simple sentence is the story of the human race. It's the story of every marriage. It's the story of every family that goes sideways. It's the story of a Christian that goes sideways. You cannot love well until you've been loved well. And being loved well is, is not something that happens one day. The gospel is something you need every day. Even, even, even important people like an apostle forgets this. And finds themselves in a hole. And Jesus is simply trying to say, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You know that I love you, yes. But why do you love me? Well, because you loved me. You died for me. When no one else would have thought anything about me, I was just a, a salty fisherman. You said, I, on, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. I think I can do something with you. Because if I pour myself into you, we can do great things together. That's why I love you. He says, now you're back where you need to be. And what you need and what I need, I hope you have this, you need people in your life who can point, especially if you're Christian, this is a Christian message in a manner of speaking, who can point you to the love of God because everything in the world around you is telling you a different message. You need to earn your love. It's image management. It's I am what I produce. Even your husbands are telling that. Your father might be telling you that. Your mother told you that. Listen, we're all getting in the world, oh my goodness, we live in a performance-based world, you know, uh, beyond all measure. 
And you need people in your life. I need people in my life. Every single day that can say in so many words, Psalm 143, verse 8, may the morning bring you me word of your unfailing love that I might trust in you. Every morning, may the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. I am who I am because Jesus Christ loves you. That's it, guys. Okay? Uh, we talked about Kosovo a few minutes ago. And I've talked about that before. Some of you don't know that. I was a missionary 20-some years ago, and I've said a lot of things that are true. It changed my life uh, in, in many very significant ways. It was, it was, it was, if you, to, to, as a shorthand, think of what's happening in the Ukraine in the sense of this crazy war and a lot of civilians uh, being hurt and hospitals. And I mean, I'm just as a shorthand, it was that kind of experience. I was there for a year. And God did amazing things in my life. And I've told you about some of those. However, it not only changed me in significant ways, it also shook me up in other ways. Right? And I would say when I came, while I was there trying to make sense of, of evil that I'd never seen before up close and personal, I began to entertain some ideas about the character of God that I don't think were theologically sound. But I found them where I found them in books because they were helping me make sense of God, how do you allow this to happen? You might say my faith was deconstructing. He's a popular word today. Well, I got back. When I came back from that trip, um, I was sleeping on a friend's couch. At that point, I didn't have a ministry job. And I was talking what I was talking, and, and it was a small world, and, and people said, you know, probably like, I think he's a little nuts, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but my pastor, who was my friend, reached out to me, and he said, let's have lunch. And we had lunch, and he knew what I uh, was going through a little bit, and he said, he began to ask me some questions. He began to offer me some advice, and he said, um, and he began to, you might say, give me some things to think about. In so many words, Rob, uh, God is a lot bigger than you and I think he is. And God um, can love, not only loves you now, but he loves these people who have suffered greatly. And I don't know exactly how that happens, but I believe that. And he gave me some things to think about. Not long after that, he gave me a book on the subject. And he said, why don't you read this and we'll talk later. And not too long after we did that, he said, how would you like to be back in the ministry and work for our church? Which I did for another four years before I came here. Serving as a shepherd is telling the truth about sin. Do you have people in your life who can do that? Who can say to you, listen, I love you. That's why I'm telling you this. You have a, you have a behavior, an idea. You're thinking about God or yourself. It's screwy. It's wrong. It's self-defeating. I want to help you. Take that thorn out of your paw. Do you have people like that in your life? And most importantly, not people that are just going to be judging you. That's why we don't want to do this. You know, I, if I have one person telling me what's wrong, okay, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus does that in this, in this perfect, um, the, 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 the pointing out Peter's, um, where Peter is stuck, is followed very quickly by pointing to the love of God. Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Why do you love me? Well, Lord, because you love me. Yes, you got it. You need people in your life. I need people in my life. Galatians 6.1, to show you this isn't just about Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that's the Bible's uh, you know, parlance for people sitting here in the room today, you know, Christians. Brothers and sisters, if someone doesn't say who, doesn't matter. 
is caught in a sin. What a great metaphor. They're stuck. Their leg is stuck, you know. I mean, they can't go forward. You who live by the Spirit, okay, in the moment, you're, you're not caught, stuck. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, okay? Do you have anyone in your life that does that? That's a, that's a, that's, that's a spiritual surgery. It's a beautiful thing. It's what it means to be a disciple and what it means to be a Christian. This is the work we're called to. And many, many people are not in a room like this today or this one because they're genuine believers, but they got caught. And it happens to all of us all the time. Small, medium, big ways. And nobody helped them out. They looked the other way. They said, ah, you know, time heals all wounds and, and, and I don't want to bring it up. And gee, they don't, they don't see them anymore. Out of sight, out of mind. That's, that's, Jesus says no. We need to tell people the truth about sin. Galatians 6, 1. We need to remember the greater truth about God's love. And then finally, where this passage is really headed or, or it started, we need to get busy serving the needs of those around us. This is all Jesus is saying. I mean, was Jesus a farmer? Uh, uh, no. Okay. Jesus, as far as I know, never, uh, you know, uh, really actually was doing any animal husbandry work. He's a carpenter. I mean, his dad was, stepdad. So this sheep thing, it's a metaphor, of course. He's not calling us into doing that kind of work. But it's interesting, of all the metaphors to choose about what it means to be, let's say, in the faith, and this goes all the way back to the Old Testament, Our fa- one of the famous Psalms of the Old Testament, the Lord is my shepherd. God as a shepherd was, was baked in the minds of the people of the Old Testament before there ever was a New Testament. Jesus is the extension. Jesus is the Son of God, the promised Messiah. But the people of God always knew David was called the shepherd of the sheep. Right? He wrote the 23rd Psalm. But why would God choose that metaphor? See, we, we, we make it cute on Christmas, you know, greeting cards, and it's, there's a sort of a beauty to it, but it's really not a beautiful metaphor. You know, if I was choosing, I'd say, you know, uh, the Lord is my quarterback, you know, I mean, or, or my general. Give, give me something that has a little more, um, you know, uh, a power to it. But God is a shepherd because, wait for it, we're sheep. And sheep is actually not a a compliment. Sheep are particularly not the smartest animals, not the cleanest animals. They get in their own way and they are easily trapped and easily caught and easily, um, you know, uh, commandeered for the wrong purposes. They get lost, right? right? But that's who we are. And Jesus is saying, listen, Peter, now that we've gotten you out of your hole, and we've restored you to the real motivation for ministry, which is love. Get back to work. And you know what's interesting about the life of Peter? These are sobering words. But despite these sobering words, when you were young, you did what you wanted. When you're older, you're going to do things you don't want to do. You're going to die, maybe. It does say you're going to die kind of a, a, a martyr's death. But guess what? We know, because the Bible's over. It's, it's written, I mean. Peter lived for another, wait for it, 30 years, okay, at least, if you do the math. And in those 30 years, the guy who thought he was done, he, get, he started the church, we'll talk about this in the fall, by the way, Acts chapter 2, there's no one that really compares to it. That, that was the longest pass ever thrown in the history of the church, was Acts chapter 2, Peter threw it. 
And then in Acts chapter 10, we'll get to that later in the next January, February, uh, Peter um, opens up the door to non-Jewish people and it's, it's a piece of prophecy that's huge. It all goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. And then Peter, before he's done, writes two books of the New Testament. Not a bad career for a guy who blew it, okay? But what did he have to do? What is this language? It's, it's, it's literal language that he's going to die a certain way, but it's also more than literal language. He needed to die to himself, okay? Not only to his nagging regrets about his mistakes, but about his personal ambitions. They'll all fall away, but I won't. <laughs> he had to die to his nagging regrets. Listen, that's me, that's you. And to our personal ambitions to serve others and allow others to serve him. To serve others in this way and allow others to serve him. That's why he lived for another 30 years. That's why he was the great leader that he was. That's why we're here today, in large part, because of his leadership. Okay? Amen? Okay, now, I'm going to send you out into the lobby and encourage you all, which my sermon hasn't been about all of us serving. This whole series has been about all of us serving, getting in the game, not being a spectator, getting out of our own way, right? But... I want to end with a story that I think is, will inspire us that's really about this whole series. If you were here two weeks ago, some of you weren't, go watch the video. Sherwin Damdar gave a great message here and used an illustration. And the illustration was about a family that's been a part of this church for a handful of months. Svetlana, if I'm saying her name right, I always say it wrong. And Anton, they're from the Ukraine. They might even be here. They're over here, perhaps. And they came here through... Uh, a lot of people, uh, the McGee's, Deaf Bridge and Orange, you've heard, some of you heard this story, and they're replanted here. And Sherwin was telling about this story and about all these different people, many of you who got involved in the game and helped encouraging them and helping them. And their coming here has released gifts in this church that, you know, has been, they've been a bigger blessing to us probably than we have been to them. Now, one of the things that they needed, if you saw that video, was an automobile, okay? That's, that's a big need. Well, in the last three weeks or whatever it's been, someone raised their hand in this church with their permission. Uh, she was standing over here. Uh, the, Christina and Chris Knight said to themselves in so many words, um, we got more than one automobile. Honey, kids, what do you think? Um, yeah, let's give them ours. And they, this is a picture of them uh, coming out of the car wash two weeks ago when they decided we're going to do it, let's give them a clean car. They were, it was a blessing to them. This is a picture of them having a little tiny ceremony. Some of you might have saw it. I think it was just last weekend or the weekend before. Last weekend. Was it last weekend? Last weekend. Um, and just a little ceremony. No one knew about it unless you were out there. And here is Anton and Svetlana and their two boys receiving that beautiful gift. All right? Amen. Now. But I want to end with these words. So it's a beautiful story. And, and, we, and, and, and maybe part of it is, guys, these stories are all around us. They don't have to be an automobile. They, don't have, they can be much smaller than that. There's so many little stories in here that I didn't tell. Um, but this is just a great way to capstone or cap, cap off this story. But there's a lot of little stories. But let me, I want to share how 
this experience, right? You might say that even though this family hopefully has been blessed, as I said, I think they've blessed this congregation more than they have been blessed, right? Because they have served. Listen to these words, Christina. Over the last five months, we've been grateful that Anton and Svetlana have entered our lives. Their love for God and faithfulness to the gospel, especially during this time of a Job-like trial, theirs, is amazing and an honor to witness. He is using their lives here in really incredible ways, not the least of which is how the body of Christ has been mobilized to support and encourage them. In return, God is using them to bless and teach us in ways that we couldn't have had the privilege of experiencing without the Holy Spirit's prompting in our hearts, speaking collectively, not just the nights, to notice and to move. Their family inspires us to trust more deeply in the Lord. Isn't that amazing? That's what we're talking about here, guys. It's about loving one another, serving one another, opening your eyes. But many of us, maybe why I ended with this sermon, we're not doing it because we're, we're kind of looking down, right? We have, for any number of reasons, we've said to ourselves, maybe never consciously, but very unconsciously a lot, I'm done, I'm, I don't have what it takes, it's somebody else, I've blown it. And Jesus is saying, no, you haven't. Not in my book, you haven't. In other words, yes, you've made some mistakes, but they haven't taken, they're not supposed to take you out. You've just got unconnected with the primary motivation. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. Oh, that's where, I, that's where you need to go. That's where I need to go. And what you and I need is people in our lives. Do you have them? Go get some. Who can help you, give you the truth in response to the untruth that the world tells you and that you tell yourself. And the more you have people doing that, the more your eyes will be open and you will be doing amazing things. Uh, just by saying yes. Amen? amen? All right. So I'm going to pray. Before I pray and say amen and send you out, let me just uh, remind you here that you got one of these coming in, and it, it just take five minutes when you leave today. As you go out, there's all these tables out here. Some of them are ministry opportunities right here in the church, right? You could, you could do something. It's for one week, for a, a semester. Do, get in the game. All right, that's the point of this, serving like Jesus. Some of them are very small ways. Then there's many partners that are um, not overseas missionaries. That's another uh, opportunity. But local partners, I think there's 11, if I'm not mistaken, right here that you can be a part of as well. Local schools, uh, different ministries uh, that we have. You can be a part, small, medium, a commitment of your own. So take some time to just walk around, say hello pick up some information, maybe get in the game. And then if you uh, don't have time or you're listening to me online, you can scan this QR code, which will give you, you can do all of this, uh, 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 whatever you call it, electronically, digitally as well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. We thank you for um, all that you're doing in the life of this church. And Lord, we, I hope, we hope that you would do immeasurably more than, than we imagine. I'm so grateful, Lord to be standing here, to be the pastor of, of this church, to be a part of this church family. 
uh, that does that you do that you work through in so many amazing ways, most of which we don't talk about. And I just thank you, God, for um, this opportunity. Help us all, Lord, to where we need it to be reoriented in our thinking, to be unstuck in our um, where we might be stuck. That we might, Lord, be um, realigned with. Um, the ultimate motivation, which is your amazing love, and that we, Lord, might serve like Jesus. That's not a cliche. We can actually do that, Lord, if we're, if we're open to it, if we're willing to do it and, and experience the joy that comes with it. So I just pray for all of us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.